Good song, Brother Rick. Thank you. I told him those were a couple of high notes for a bass near the end of that song. Would you find in your Bibles Revelation chapter number 13? If we continue in a study I've entitled Welcome to the Future, and we've been in it now. This is our 31st look into this book. Last week, we, um, we paused and went to the book of Daniel in order to be introduced to the one called Antichrist uh, who is coming. He may be alive on the earth right now. We just don't know it. But we looked at the book of Daniel because the book of Daniel has more to say about the Antichrist just about than any other book as far as description goes. Today I want to bring us back to Revelation chapter number 13. Lord willing, uh, again tonight we'll, we'll continue in this. We're going to talk this morning about beast number one from the sea and tonight beast number two from the earth. We're introduced to two beasts here uh, with that title, but it's talking about uh, it's talking about the beast. This Antichrist reveals a lot of how Satan operates because Antichrist is motivated and he's empowered by the devil himself. Uh, now let me pause and say this morning, we are in a book that is completely prophetical. More than one time in the Old and New Testaments, the Bible talks about these days that we're studying, and it says this, there's coming a time to the earth when it's going to be worse than it has ever been in human history. So the things that we're studying now, and some of them are fantastic things, but the things that we are studying now, people are hesitant to believe And the reason for that is because they can't conceive that these things are coming to planet Earth. That's exactly right. So again and again and again, the Holy Spirit of God says, such as the Earth has never seen. So we take a literal interpretation where the Bible means to be interpreted literally, and we have been looking at this man who is coming, a man who is coming. We don't know his name, but his title is Antichrist, and we're going to look at him. Now, one thing I'd like to say, kind of an introductory thought this morning, and it will help us in our study for today and tonight. This morning, look at it, looking at Antichrist. Tonight, looking at his preacher, the false prophet. Beast one, beast two. Let me say this this morning by way of introduction. One of Satan's strategies is to be an imitator. He takes what God does, and he attempts to duplicate it. This is vital because it's going to show up. Uh, Well, it already has shown up. Do you remember when Moses was standing before Pharaoh and he threw down that rod and it became a snake? Pharaoh calls his guys out who the Bible says they were sorcerers. And what did they do? They threw down their rods and it became a snake. Satan imitates what he can when it comes to God. He duplicates what he can. One of the greatest examples of this uh, centers around the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Jesus Christ is a living, breathing revelation of God the Father. Let me read parts of three verses from John chapter 1. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, capital W, Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In that verse, Word refers to Jesus Christ. Verse number 1 of John 1 says, Jesus was God. Verse 14, And the Word... Jesus was made flesh and dwelt among us. Verse number 18, the only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, he hath, 
Jesus hath declared him God. Three times in John 1, we are pointed to the fact that God the Son is in relation with God the Father, and they are one. Verse number 18 in the King James Bible uses the word declared. From the, from the Greek word uh, declared, we get our word exegesis. We talk about exegetical or exegesis in our preaching. That means to take out from the scripture and put before people what the Bible says. It's my style of preaching. I am an exegetical preacher. I do not read into the scripture and then tell you what my opinion is about it. I'm an exegetical preacher, and so I take out from the Bible and say this is what God's word says. It means to narrate it or to explain it or to draw it out. So exegetical preaching takes what the scripture says and puts it in front of people. In John 1.18, when it says that Jesus is the exegesis of God, it means that Jesus put God in front of people. That statement is so true that Jesus could say this, I and my Father are one. Elsewhere, he would say, if you have seen me, one of them said, show us the Father. Jesus said back to his disciple who asked that question, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus is God in the flesh. We use the word incarnate. Jesus is God in the flesh. I said a moment ago that Satan is a great imitator. Here's the example of this. In the Antichrist, Satan attempts to duplicate the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Antichrist will be a living, breathing revelation of the devil himself. At one point, at some point, the devil will enter into and possess the Antichrist. He's going to be the devil incarnate or the devil in human flesh. He's an imitator. God sent his son and Jesus was God in the flesh. Satan's going to send his man and Antichrist will be Satan in the flesh. God exists as a triune being, doesn't he? We believe in the Trinity, the Holy Trinity. God the Father, God the Son... God the Spirit, not three gods, one God represented in three persons. Hear, O Israel, the Bible says, the Lord our God is one Lord. He is one God, but he's represented in three distinct persons. We refer to that as the Holy Trinity. In Revelation chapter 12 and 13, we are introduced to the unholy Trinity. Satan, Antichrist, the false prophet. Satan being the father, Antichrist being the son, and the false prophet working as the Holy Spirit. What is the primary role of the Holy Spirit? According to John 14 and John 16, the primary role of the Holy Spirit is to point people toward Jesus Christ, right? Um, He will come and he will testify of me, Jesus said. He points people to Jesus Christ. The primary role of the false prophet is to get people to worship Antichrist. We're going to talk more about the false prophet tonight, but today I'd like to turn our attention to these first 10 verses in uh, Revelation chapter 13 and look at Antichrist in, in a little more detail. So let's read those verses, would you? If you're there, Revelation chapter 13, you can follow along. I'll read the first 10 verses. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. 
And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and his great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it was wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. Let's just pause so we're all on the same page. You remember who the dragon is? The devil. The beast, this one coming out of the sea, he's Antichrist. So, verse number four, and they worshiped the devil, which gave power unto the Antichrist. And they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months, three and a half years. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Let's stop right there. The the next few verses will put us into tonight's message, and we, we don't want to do that, right? So let's stop here. We have asked God to bless his word to us this morning in the preaching of it, and I pray that you'll give you'll, you'll take the next few moments and give your attention to God's word. These are critical passages of Scripture, and I'll say this again. Several of you are here maybe for the first time when it comes to this series. I want to be clear on this. This is going to happen. We, we, have, to, we have to acknowledge this. This is what we're talking about this morning is going to happen. It's not maybe it will or I I think there's a lot of allegory here. There isn't. There's there's some symbolic there's some symbolism in the descriptions, but this is going to happen. This man's coming. I've used this illustration before about getting on I-40 out here and heading west. If you stay on I-40 heading west, it doesn't matter whether or not you believe you're going to come to Knoxville, Tennessee. You're going to come to Knoxville, Tennessee. That is a fixed surety. If you stay on I-40 West and you stay in motion, you're coming to Knoxville. You say, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter. (laughs) You're going to go to Knoxville. If you don't want to go to Knoxville, don't get on I-40 West and stay in motion. And it doesn't matter whether or not I believe the word of God. It's going to happen. God said this, I've declared it. When an omnipotent, omniscient God says, I have declared it, you better buckle up and get on that. You better get on that train because it's going to happen. I would pay attention to Revelation chapter 13 this morning, and I hope you can make, join us back tonight uh, for the, for the follow-up to this. But let's look at this. Beast number one from the sea, Antichrist. Let's start with the first one. In the first two verses, we talk about the appearance of this beast. The appearance of the beast. He shows up. I said a moment ago, he may already be alive. He may already be an adult. We don't know. But at some point, this guy is coming to planet Earth, and he's coming as a human being. 
Let's first of all look at how he originates. In verse number one, it says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea. Rise up out of the sea. That word sea is a sim- it's symbolic language for the masses of humanity. Uh, that's, that's pointing us to he's coming from, uh, he's coming from among people. This is not a supernatural being. He is a man. He's going to possess power that surpasses anything you or I have seen and any other ruler, but he will be, at the end of the day, he will be a human being. He's going to have a human uh, father and a human mother, unlike Jesus. Jesus had a human mother, but he did not have a human father. But Satan can't duplicate that. And so what he does is he come up, he comes up with this antichrist who's going to be empowered by Satan, but he's not fathered by Satan. This is a man. Him coming out of the sea tells us that antichrist is a man. Where's he going to come from? Nobody really knows. I've grown up, uh, I've grown up in conservative Baptist churches my whole life. Most of the church, well, all of the churches that I've been in have been churches um, that preach a premillennial, pre-tribulation rapture doctrine. Uh, they look at the Antichrist. I've grown up hearing about Antichrist, I'm saying, since I was a kid. I remember when, do any of you remember Henry Kissinger? Worked under President Nixon, Secretary of State. There were a lot of rumors that Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist. Back when Bill Clinton was serving as our president, he served two consecutive terms. We got a booklet in the mail. We were at our old building over there on Highway 11E. We got a booklet in the mail with a cover on the front of it having, uh, having Bill Clinton coming. It had a caricature of Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton's the Antichrist. There have been all kinds of guesses as to who the, anti, uh, who the Antichrist is. George W. Bush. It's not just a Democrat thing. There were a lot of people who said George W. Bush was the, uh, was the Antichrist. The truth is we don't know. We don't know who he is. We don't know where he comes from. He may be European. The Bible talks about him here leading this. Uh, he has ten horns. And he may be a European, uh, European leading a ten-nation confederacy that represents the revived Roman Empire. That, that may or may not be true. We don't know. He may be Jewish. Daniel chapter 11 verse 37 says this, He will not regard the God, capital G, of his fathers. That's an indicator that he may be of Jewish ethnicity. Well, that would make some sense, wouldn't it? Because he would get along with the Jews if he's Jew. He may be, in fact, I, this is me talking now, he probably will be homosexual. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 11, same chapter, verse number 37, it said he will not regard the desire of women. There's a good chance that he's homosexual. This rise that you're seeing in the acceptance of homosexuality and transgenderism and everything else, there's reason behind that. There's purpose behind this. I don't know who he is for sure. I don't know where he comes from. But the Bible drops these hints but I keep this in mind. Antichrist is a man. He's, he's a human being. He's not uh, some type of uh, supernatural being. He's not a demon. He's a man. That's how he originates, how he operates. Keep reading in verses 1 and 2, and you come up with how he operates. There's some, 
Boy, there's some strange things going on here, isn't there? When it starts describing him, it says he has seven heads. That's an interesting phrase, and I love it. Don't you like it when the Bible interprets itself? The Bible says in Revelation chapter 17 and verse number 9 that those seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. When, you're in, when we get to Revelation chapter 17, we're going to be talking about the great harlot. The harlot is the apostate church that is ruling and reigning during the, in, uh, during the great tribulation period. And the Bible says that she, this apostate church, sits on seven hills. Revelation 17.9 says the seven heads of the Antichrist represent those seven hills. There's one city in the world, one major city in the world that sits on seven hills. It's the city of Rome. So whether or not it's the Roman church that leads the apostasy or the Roman revived Roman Empire is the look of uh, that is the look of the uh, uh, the apostate church. I don't know, but it's pointing us toward Rome. The seven heads represent the seven hills on which this city sits. So it points us toward Rome. Then it talks about in those same verses. It says that these seven heads he has ten horns. You know in scripture from the study on the tabernacle and the temple and even over into the New Testament, you know that horns represent authority and power. Revelation 17.12 says that these ten horns represent, they represent ten kings or ten, uh, ten nations. Then he talks about these ten kings have ten crowns. That emphasizes the authority or the influence that these ten kings has. So what, what is it saying when it says he has seven heads, ten horns, ten crowns, and the title of this thing, uh, he has this title. Did you see that? It says that he has, at the end of verse 1, upon his heads he has the name of blasphemy. What's going on? These world leaders are going to stand in open defiance against the true God. Rick sang that song here just a moment ago, talking about uh, they can take my Bible, they can do all of these things, and we think, well, if we go to China, they're going to do that. That's coming to America one day. That is coming to America one day. During this time period, at least, if not before, this is going to, to happen. These world leaders that the Antichrist will put together in this coalition, they are going to openly defy God. Whether or not this is a revival of the ancient Roman Empire, I don't know. I do know this, and you do this. You like studying, I like studying world history. I think it's advantageous to us to do that. The Roman Empire was never defeated. The Greeks were. The Babylonians were. The Medo-Persians were, Rome never was defeated. Rome imploded and divided itself into four kingdoms, but they didn't get defeated. At some point, the Roman Empire has to be defeated to be subjected to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I think this could be a revival of the Roman Empire. A lot of people say, well, the ten horns here, it's talking about the European Union. And when the Europe, how many of you remember when the European Union first formed? You remember that? Not reading about it. Okay, you remember that? There were a lot of us that said, ooh, here it comes. Buckle up. Here it comes. But now the European Union has 27 nations in it. 
So these 10 nations that are being referred to, it may not be all of the European Union, but it could be a portion of it. It could be the leaders in the European Union. I don't, I don't know how all of that works. It could be that, but it, it, it's not limited to it. You've got to remember this. Things are going to be so terribly bad during the tribulation period, perhaps none of the government institutions that we recognize now are going to, are going to be working. We've talked about what's going on, right, during the tribulation period. So the European Union may be a defunct thing by then. But at some point, Antichrist is going to be working with these ten nations. To understand the description given of this beast, because it starts there in verse number 2, and I know that got weird. The beast I saw was like unto a leopard, feet of a bear, mouth of a lion, the dragon gave him power. There's some things going on there. To understand what's, why are these animals being chosen, this leopard and this lion and this bear, you can either turn there or you can, you can listen. I'm going to read Daniel chapter 7, verses 3 through 8. But this is, this is tied right to it. Daniel chapter 7, verse 3 said, And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings, and I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked. And it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second, like unto a bear. And it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it, between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I beheld in lo another, like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl and beast, and it had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. And it had great iron teeth, and it devoured and brake in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. And I considered the horns, and behold, there came up from among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things." If you just watched that last phrase, would you, in verse number 8, where it says, a mouth speaking great things. I'd like you to notice that one, because we're going to come back to that in a moment. What you have described in these four different beasts, there was first a lion, then a bear, then a leopard, and then just something called a beast with iron teeth. What you have are the four world empires that are described in world history. Um, Let's run through them real quickly. First, in verse number 4 of Daniel 7, the lion pictures the Babylonian empire, fearsome, an awesome army. It lasted for 300 years. In verse number 5, it talks about the bear. The bear is in reference to the Medo-Persian empire. It had the power to crush its enemies. It lasted for about 219 years. And then there's the leopard in verse number 6 of Daniel 7. It speaks of the Greek empire. Like a leopard with all of these wings, the Greeks quickly took over and made world domination. That empire lasted for 300 years. In Daniel 7 and verse 7, it talks about this beast with teeth of iron, and they dominated the ancient world. That's the Roman empire. Their empire lasted for a 1,000 years. And as I said a moment ago, they were never defeated in world history. Keep that in mind. They had this iron. Revelation chapter 13, our text, 
talks about these things, talks about this lion and bear and leopard, and it calls him a beast. It's saying in Revelation 13 that the Antichrist will gather up all of the strengths and none of the weaknesses of those world empires, and that's how he's going to dominate. Body like a leopard, his rise to power is going to be swift. It says that he has feet like a bear, and the description in Daniel 7 is that that bear is just crushing his enemies with his feet. He's going to do that. He has a mouth like a lion. He's going to devour all that stand in his way, and he will. Antichrist will do that. And then it says, he is, he, it just calls him a beast, like a wild animal, like a ferocious, terrible, savage, wild animal. This Antichrist that's coming, he's going to be a fearsome and powerful man. All of the strengths of those past world empires, none of the weaknesses, that's how he's going to operate, and he's going to dominate the world like that. Let's keep going. How he originates, he comes out from the masses of people. How he operates, he is a powerful individual. How he officiates, how does he govern? Look at verse, we're back in Revelation 13, the second part of verse 2. It says, the dragon, the devil, gave him his power and his seat and great authority. His power, that refers to his strength and he is going to have supernatural abilities. Keep in mind, it says the dragon or the devil is empowering this guy. It gives him his power, his supernatural abilities. He gives him his seat. That word seat is literally his throne on which he's going to rule. Satan's given him dominion and great authority. Antichrist, there's going to come a time in his rule where he's going to be allowed to do whatever he wants to do. Satan is just going to give him, Satan is the prince of the power of the air, the Bible says. Satan is going to turn Antichrist loose and whatever comes into his wicked mind, he's going to do it. And he's going to do so unopposed. Antichrist is going to accept the offer that Jesus refused in Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, Satan came to Jesus. Do you remember this? And he took him up to the pinnacle of the temple and he said, If you'll bow down to me, I'll give you the world. I'll give you the kingdom of the world. Jesus said, I don't think so. There was no way that was going to happen. When the devil offers Antichrist the kingdoms of the world, if he'll just worship him, Antichrist takes him up on it. He is a devil worshiper, and Satan literally gives him the world. Let me pause right here and say this to you. Our hearts were made to be occupied. Our spiritual heart was made to be occupied. You and I are in service to someone today. Be in service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you're either of me or you're of your father, the devil. Antichrist makes a terrible choice and his heart is given over to the devil and it takes him to his end. It takes him to his destruction. So this verses 1 and 2 tell us about the appearance of the Antichrist. He shows up. He shows up. And this is how he comes. The second thing, the achievements of the beast. The achievement of the beast. In verses 3 and 4, it tells us what he, what's going on. It says in verse 3, I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. 
and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. The first thing I want you to see about this part of it is the world wonders at him. Sometime during his reign, Antichrist is going to be killed. Probably an assassination attempt, but we don't know that for sure. But he suffers a fatal head injury. And the Bible says he, he's wounded, as it were, to death. While the world is mourning his death, because he's a very popular guy, while they're mourning his death, you know what happens. You've read this, right? He comes back to life. I said at the very beginning, Satan is a wonderful imitator. He loves to duplicate. This one who is duplicating God the Son, Antichrist, is going to be killed. And after a period of time, he's going to come back to life. Just like Jesus. You know why I believe that Jesus is the son of God? Not just because he died, but he was resurrected. I'm, I'm counting on that as fact. That my faith is built on a resurrected Christ. So do you see how the world is going to fall for a wicked, vile man who's worked out all these world problems and he dies and is resurrected? The Bible says people are going to follow him. He has people right where they want him at this point. Tonight we're going to look at his cohort who is saying, how can you deny this is God? He was dead and now he lives. How can you deny that this is not God? Well, this is, this is why the world wonders at him. They are amazed. That word wonder means to be absolutely amazed. Words taken away. The second thing in verse number four, not only does the world wonder at him, they worship Antichrist. He was dead and now he's living and the world bows down to him. Now let me say this. I don't know if he literally dies or it's an apparent death. The wording in verse number four says this, in verse number three says, and I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. Does he literally die and he's brought back to life? I think that's probably the case. But it may be an apparent death. Either way, the world is going to believe this guy dies and he comes back. And when he does, not only are they amazed by him, they worship him. In fact, look at what their worship says. And doesn't this sound, doesn't this sound what we say about Jesus Christ? Look at what they say about the Antichrist in verse number 4. They worship the beast saying, who is like unto the beast? Don't we say that? No other name but Jesus, right? Acts chapter 4 and verse, and verse 13 says that, that men must be saved by Jesus. There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. What else do we say about Jesus? Look at the end of verse 4. Who's able to make war with him? That's asking, who's going to defeat him? Do we not propagate the truth that Jesus is, indefe- he, he is indefeatable? He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. When he comes back, no army will stand before him. They're giving the praise that should be given only to Jesus Christ, to the Antichrist. That's what's going on. They say he's undefeatable. We know that's not true. We don't have time to turn there this morning. Revelation 19.20 and Revelation 20.10 
both tell you where this Antichrist is going. He is not undefeatable. In fact, he is doomed. He gave his heart to he gave his heart to the wrong king. He gave his heart to the king of this world, not to the king of kings. And he's going to be eternally destroyed. Satan has power. Antichrist is going to have power. But they are going to face, Matthew 28, verse 18 says, they're going to face the one who has all power. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He's going to defeat them. He's going to judge them. Then he's going to destroy them. This is the Antichrist. His achievements are going to get people to wonder at him and they're going to get people to worship him. But he's a false god. He is Antichrist, capital A. The activities of this beast in verses 5 through 8. What's he doing? I asked you a few moments ago to remember the last phrase of Daniel chapter uh, Daniel 7 verse 8. And the last phrase said of that iron beast, that iron tooth beast, said that he would speak great things. Remember that? Verse number 5. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. Daniel lived hundreds of years before John did. And he was writing the same thing that now the Revelator is writing in the last book of the Bible, using the exact same phrases. Antichrist is going to use his power only to further Satan's agenda. And this is what it says in verses 5, 5 through 8. First, it says in verses 5 and 6 that he defies God. He defies God. Antichrist is going to have these, this oratorical skill. It says that he is given a mouth to speak great things. Old Testament and New Testament says that. He's going to move the masses by speaking great things. Those of you who have studied world history remember the oratorical skills of Adolf Hitler. The reason he convinced people to follow such bold-faced lies was because of his oratory. Like the, like the uh, old saying goes, he could sell ice to an Eskimo. He was a great talker. That's exactly, that's exactly how Antichrist is going to operate. Hitler's words were all lies. They were all lies, but they were so convincing. Antichrist is going to be so convincing, but all lies. Powerful words, but they're lies. He's lying to the people. He's going to speak these great things. First, he defies God. And then in verse number 7, he destroys the saints. It says in verse number 7, it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome him. Now, we've talked about the 144,000 evangelists and those two witnesses. And they go around the world. Then there's two witnesses preaching the gospel of the kingdom in Jerusalem. And Antichrist can't do anything to them until God's done with them. But those who are, those who are receiving this news and they're turning to Jesus away from Antichrist, the Bible says he's going to kill them. It says he's given, it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Eventually the 144,000 evangelists are going to be killed. Eventually the two witnesses in Jerusalem are going to be killed. But the Christians who are, but people who are turning to them and converting to Christ, they're going to be being killed all along. He's making war with them. So he defies God. He destroys the saints. Verse 7 also says that he dominates the nations. 
Antichrist is going to rule. Did you see that? All kindreds, tongues, and nations. We know from our missionaries' input, that word nations is not talking about political groups. It's talking about people groups, not, not defined by political boundaries. He's going to rule the world. He's going to be the ultimate ruler of the world. People have tried to do that all through history. He's going to do it. He dominates the nation. Verse number 8 says, he deceives the masses. Watch this very carefully. It says in verse number 8, after he dies and he's resurrected, verse 8 says, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. The only exception whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Listen, every unsaved person on the planet at that time is going to worship Antichrist. That's going to happen. The Bible says it. Only those who know Christ as Savior are not going to worship him. The rest of the world, and we have a hard time imagining this. How do billions of people, how do billions of people all, 100% of them, turn to Antichrist and worship him. How do they do that? The Bible says they're going to receive, they're going to receive a delusion from God. They've rejected God and rejected God and rejected God. God says, that's fine. Then you're going to believe what this nut job says. He says he's God and you're going to believe him. God sends that delusion. Listen to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And for this cause, what cause? Because they rejected his son repeatedly. For this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth. All, the Bible says, might be damned. Here in verse number 8, all that dwell upon the earth. Every person whose trust has not been placed in Jesus Christ at this point is going to fall for the lies of this. Let me ask you a question right here. What world have you chosen? What what king have you chosen here? Because it's going to come into play. It's going to have consequence for it. One of our favorite Bible teachers around here, he's in heaven now. His name is John Phillips. John Phillips said this, Every person on the earth must choose heaven or hell. And every person who has chosen heaven must choose if they are going to live for this world or the next. Ask yourself what world you're living for. This comes into play. Every person who doesn't know Christ is going to follow the Antichrist. The appearance, the activities, the achievements of beast number one from the sea. He's a dreadful man. He's, ter- he's going to come and he's going to be slick and he's going to be, uh, he's going to be intelligent. He's going to be uh, very uh, politically acceptable to everyone. He is a beast. He is a destroyer. He's a liar. He's an imitator. He is going to wreak havoc on the entire planet, the Bible says. We've never seen a man like this ever. In world history. Since Adam and Eve were created, there's not been one person that's going to impact the entire planet like this. No human being will have ever impacted like this. It's going to be, it's going to be amazing. Now, verse number nine has a phrase that you ought to note. In fact, you probably thought it said something different. Or maybe you thought some of the wor- verses got took out of your, or some of the words got took out of this verse. 
Does this sound familiar to you? Verse number 9. If any man have an ear, let him hear. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? But it's missing a couple of words. In chapter 2, verses 7, 11, 17, and 29, and chapter 3, verses 6, 13, and 12, it says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, in Revelation 13, 9, it just says, If you've got an ear, listen up. What's missing? The Holy Spirit and the church. Why? They got ejected at the rapture. They're gone. Now, God is just calling to the world saying, listen to what I'm telling you. This man is coming to destroy. And every person that follows him is going to be destroyed. He that hath an ear, let him hear. It's not what the Spirit saith to the churches. The age of grace ended when the church was raptured. Now it is Katie bar the door. This world is going to literally have hell turned loose on it. And this man's going to lead the charge. God's not being ugly about it. He's telling you in verse number 10. Verse number 10 is the, is the revelation equipment, uh, equivalent rather of Galatians 6, 7. Galatians 6, 7 says a person reaps what they sow. That truth is, it's, it makes sense for good or for bad. You sow good, you reap good. You sow bad, you reap bad. Verse number 10 here in Revelation 13, it's basically you reap what you sow, isn't it? Isn't that what it says? It says in verse 10, he that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. What's he talking about? Antichrist is going to lead the world into captivity. He is going to be led into captivity. Revelation chapter 19. He that killeth with the sword, the Antichrist, must be killed with the sword. He's going to be destroyed. God is telling us here, we reap what we sow. But the end of verse number 10, it holds out, it holds out this hope to Christians. There, all of this terribleness being described, verse number 10 ends by saying this, this is the patience and the faith of the saints. What? That Antichrist is going to be destroyed. For as bad as he is, for as powerful as he is, for as much bad as he's going to do, there's one coming who is greater, who will sit as his judge, and he will one day destroy him. He will destroy Satan. He will destroy Antichrist. He will destroy the false, prophets, uh, the false prophet. And Jesus is going to reign in righteousness. For all he's going to do, the patience and the, and the faith of the saints is this. Jesus is coming back. He's going to rule. So what do, I, what do I do today? Because this is not just for our, it's just not for our information. What do I do today with this sermon in trying to wrap it up for you and for me and saying, okay, then what is the point of all this? What's the, so I know some more things about Antichrist now. What's the point of all this, Pastor? Here's the main point today. Are you ready for Christ's return? That's the wrap-up. You are here on January 2nd, 2023. Jesus Christ, regardless of what some people say, Jesus Christ has not yet returned. And you have an opportunity to accept him as Savior and be saved and miss all of this. I don't know when he's coming. 
You don't know when he's coming. The Bible says no one does except the Father in heaven. But when he comes, opportunity for you to be saved will have ended. So the question is, are you ready for Christ's return? Here's what, and you just have to be here for the whole, you'd have to be here for the whole series. But here's what the Bible indicates. The Bible indicates that once a person has heard the gospel and learns how to be saved, that Jesus Christ came to this world to pay for their sins so that they don't have to go to hell. All they have to do is put their faith in him. The Bible indicates that once a person has heard that news, if the rapture happens, that person will no longer have access to grace. If the rapture happens, that person, listen carefully, he or she is going to believe that delusion that God is going to send. I'm saying today is the day of salvation. This is what Paul wrote in the book of Romans. Today's the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Are you ready for Christ to return today? That's the question. The Antichrist, if you're a Christian, no need to fear him at all. You won't even meet him. You'll be gone. But if you're not a Christian today, I hope these words about what's coming to this planet, I hope they shake you to your core. I hope you can't sleep tonight. I hope God's Holy Spirit will just bring these words up and you'll be churning at about 2 o'clock this morning. You're going to be thinking about this preacher's words. You're going to be thinking about Antichrist and the destruction and death that's coming to this planet. I hope you're scared. And I hope God uses that to draw you to himself. I want to give you an opportunity to come to Christ today. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and bow your heads. And when we do, we're not, nobody's going to come talk to you. We're not putting any pressure on you. But I would be remiss as a pastor if I didn't give you an opportunity to be saved today. Now, I'm not going to tarry long. We're going to baptize two young girls today who've done exactly what I'm saying you need to do. They're ready for this. You need to be ready. Mom and dad, husband and wife, teenager, you need to be ready for this. Would you stand with your heads bowed this morning? Father, this is your word, so we're not going to question it. We're going to believe it, and we're going to present it. And Lord, we're going to ask that you would do in our hearts what it is you want to do. We know that you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You didn't even create hell for people. You said you created hell for the devil and his fallen angels. Thank you for giving us a way to miss hell and gain heaven. Thank you for paying for our sins, Jesus. And if there's someone here today in this room or joining us online or back in our kids' church, if they do not know Christ, would you draw them to yourself today? Do your work in hearts. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And would you hold